Well, let me show you something. Why are you always leaving your toys out? Give me the wallet. It's my wallet. What's yours is mine, and what's mine is That's mine. That's not how it goes. Yes, it yes. is. Yeah. Sharing is caring. Figure it out. <sighs> and Warren Buffett's stock went up 3%. The end. Nighty-night. Okay, guys, be sure to eat your vegetables. Stop picking at them. Eat them. I saw that. Yeah. <clears throat> well, happy Easter, Northview. Hey, it's so good to have all of you here. Thank you for being here on this very, very special Resurrection Weekend. We love it. And I am really excited about this three-week series called Raising Parents. CJ's going to be doing this all three weeks, and I'm told Kristen is going to join him on Mother's Day. So it's going to be a great series. Regardless, guys, regardless where, what stage of life you're in, I really think you're going to glean from this series. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope that you'll make plans on being here every week as well. You know, last week, if you were here, I tried to show you some scientific evidence on why boys that had cats growing up had an increased risk of psychotic experiences as adults. I was just trying to be helpful, but I had all kinds of people get upset with me, as some cat, I mean, as some people do. So please don't shoot the messenger. Now, I realize that some of you are cat lovers, but here, listen, I'm just saying this. Where'd it go? I'm not saying your cat doesn't care about you. I'm just saying that if Lassie was a cat, Timmy would still be in that well. <laughs> Enough said. Pray with me, Father, thank you for your faithfulness. You are an amazing God, and what an opportunity to be able to gather together on this resurrection weekend. And I pray, God, that you would just make your presence known in each of our lives, because I believe, God, that every one of us are here for a reason, by divine appointment, that, God, you want to speak into all of our lives. And so I pray that we would be receptive to see what it is that you have for each one of us. Thanks, God. We love you and praise you. And now as we get into this message, I pray that you would use it to open up our eyes and ears to see and hear all that you want to do. God, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, guys, I'm sure in a crowd this size, we have every viewpoint or worldview you can imagine when it comes to your thoughts on Christianity. While many of you, of course, in this room are completely sold out to Jesus, others of you are here because you felt pressured to be here, maybe by a spouse or by a girlfriend or a boyfriend or maybe even by your mother. And you might even say that you don't believe in Christianity or, or you might say that, well, I think I believe, but I do have a lot of questions. But guys, Regardless why you're here, I just want you to know that I'm really glad that you are. Seriously, I appreciate you taking the time to be here, and I hope that I can answer some of your questions today about Christianity. But let's first establish, as we jump into this, let's first establish a foundation, because here's what we know. First of all, no one disputes that Jesus was a real person. 
No one disputes that Jesus was a real person. There's no argument to that fact, guys. It's a historical fact. So I think we can get past that point. I would also say that no one disputes that Jesus had a significant impact on our world. Again, I don't think many people would argue with that. In fact, he was so, it was so significant, the entire world uses a calendar that's established around his birth, right? We have B.C. and A.D. B.C. was before Christ, A.D. is Anno Domini, which literally means in the year of our Lord. So we know that 2,022 years ago, this one man, Jesus, was born, and that he went on to play a very significant role in our world. So friends, when it comes right down to it, the only disputable thing is can Jesus really change your life? That's the argument. That, that's the thing that probably, if, there's, if we're bringing everything down to one question that you might have, can Jesus really change your life? And of course, I believe that he can. I believe it so strongly, guys, that I've committed my life to helping others discover a relationship with him. Friends, I believe that he wants to change your life and that he will change your life if you will only allow him to. Well, Steve, if that's true, then why doesn't everybody see it? Why doesn't everybody follow him? Well, guys, let me show you one of the reasons that I think that is. Several months ago, the New York Times did a story on a study that had been done by the University of California. And the study was done on why we miss objects that are right in front of us. Why we miss objects that are right in front of us. And so, in order to, to show you the gist of the study, I'm gonna use the example that they used. I'm getting ready to show you a picture of a bathroom that's all cluttered. And you're gonna have three seconds, when that comes on the screen, you're gonna have three seconds to pick out the toothbrush, all right? It's a cluttered bathroom, three seconds to pick out the toothbrush. Okay, how many of you would say you saw the toothbrush? That's good, all right. Let's look at it again. How many of you saw that toothbrush? Let me see your hands again. Now look at me for just a minute. Everybody look up here. You're in church. Be honest. How many of you saw that toothbrush? Oh, a few of you did. A few of you did. For the rest of you, can I ask you, how in the world did you miss such an obvious toothbrush? Well, seriously, in, in this research by the University of California, they called it, they put a name to it. They called it inattentional blindness. Not unintentional, but inattentional blindness, which is what? It is the surprising failure to notice something obvious because of two reasons. Number one, because it's bigger than our expectations. Well, obviously, that big toothbrush was much bigger than you expected, and so you weren't looking for it, right? I told you to look for a toothbrush. You didn't expect something so big. And number two, our attention becomes focused on something else. You were looking for a small toothbrush, so you immediately locked your eyes on it when you saw it, and you missed the big brush that was right in front of you. Okay, so what am I saying? Guys, I'm suggesting that many people today have inattentional blindness when it comes to Jesus. I'm serious. 
I really do believe that's true. And I think we can even see it clear back in the first century followers of Jesus. Guys, listen to me. If you are a skeptic of the Bible, what I'm going to share with you today might help you to see why the Bible is true. For instance, you see, after Jesus rose from the grave, his followers captured the story in, in what we call the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of them are giving an account of the story of Jesus. In other words, they were eyewitnesses, and so they're telling what they saw, what they experienced while he was here on this earth. But what's, what I think is interesting is how all of them wrote about themselves as kind of foolish because they realized they completely missed something big that was right in front of them. They missed something big that was very clear. Friends, if you were making up a story Listen, if you were making up a story, because some people will, will try to say that the Gospels are made up. If you were making up a story, wouldn't you write yourself in as the hero? Wouldn't you write yourself in as the smart one in the crowd? But instead, in all four Gospels, you see they own it. They recognize they just missed it. So I don't have time to show you all four Gospels, but let's go to the book of Matthew, and let's start right there. Matthew is talking about what Jesus said to them and how somehow they missed it. We'll start with Matthew chapter 16. And it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and look at it and suffer many things. He's being pretty clear. He's telling the disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, pretty clear, and on the third day, be raised to life. So again, I think it's pretty obvious, don't you? Well, so then he calls them together again. Just the very next chapter, Matthew chapter 17, he calls the disciples together again. And it says, after they gathered again in Galilee, Jesus told them, the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to be betrayed. No question what that means, right? The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. And the disciples were filled with grief. So he tells them this, he explains this to them, and they're grieving the fact that he's going to be killed, but he tells them he's going to be raised on the third day. So then once again, just a few chapters later, it's right before, uh, right before they arrest Jesus, he gathers all of them together. Look what he says in chapter 20. He says, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately, and he told them what was going to happen to him. He told them what was going to happen to them. He said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priest and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with the whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. My goodness, is there any argument about what's going to happen there? How in the world could you miss that? And yet just a few days later on the very first Easter Sunday, do you know how many of his disciples thought that he was going to rise again? Zero. Not one of his followers are sitting next to the tomb waiting for him to come out of the grave. Not one. Instead, these believers are back in the upper room and they're scared out of their mind because they're afraid they might actually be next. They're afraid that they're going to come and arrest them. 
Even the next day, guys, when the women went to the tomb, it was not because they expected him to rise from the grave. They went to the tomb because they, because they wanted to anoint his dead body. And when they ran back to the house to tell the others, they said, the tomb is empty. No one believed them. And yet, friends, could it have been any more obvious that Jesus actually rose from the grave just as he told them several times that it would happen? Well, later he then appears to them, and they still don't get it. They think he's a ghost. But when they finally see Jesus, listen, when they finally see Jesus, it then all makes sense. So why do they miss it? And why do so many people miss it today? I'll tell you why. Inattentional blindness. Inattentional blindness. There are two reasons so many people miss the message of Easter. And it's the same two reasons that we just saw for inattentional blindness. So the first reason, number one, God's unconditional love is so big, God's unconditional love is so big, it's beyond our wildest expectation. Friends, the love that we share with one another is very much different than Christ's love for us. Our love is what? Our love is conditional with terms, with restrictions, with rules. Like if we give love to someone, we expect them to receive that love and give it back to us. And if they don't give back love to us, then we withhold our love to them. But God's love is so big, we oftentimes miss it. God's love is so big, it's oftentimes really hard for us to grasp. You can't even wrap your brain around it. Listen, there's nothing you can do to make Jesus Christ love you more, and there's nothing that you can do to make him love you less. He simply loves you, not because you deserve it or because you've earned it by fulfilling some predetermined set of conditions. He loves you guys because of who he is. For the Bible tells us God is love. First John chapter four, it says, but anyone who does not love does not know God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now guys, I'm not saying that you, will never, uh, that you will never have any consequences for your actions or for your decisions or your poor choices. I'm just saying that regardless of what you do, regardless of the mistakes that you make, he will never stop loving you. Listen, Jesus demonstrated that love when he got up from his seat in heaven and he came to this earth and he lived without sin. And then he willingly went to the cross and he died for your sins and for mine. But friends, please hear me. The ultimate demonstration of that love is when Jesus Christ rose from the grave. You see, the resurrection is the final word on God's love. It's the ultimate demonstration of his love for us. When you begin to understand that Jesus rose from the grave to conquer sin and death, you will then see that yes, he can in fact change your life. In John chapter 3, 16, it's a verse that all of you I'm sure are familiar with. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved Steve. For God so loved Mary. For God so loved Jim. Whatever your name is, just insert your name right there because it's true for you. For God so loved you. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. I know that sounds trite. I know this comment's gonna sound trite, guys, but friends, if you'd have been the only person on the face of the earth, God still would have come and died for you. And the second reason that people miss the message of Easter is because number two, our attention gets focused on everything but the resurrection. Our attention gets focused on everything but the resurrection. Friends, our focus is usually on what's right in front of us. Think about that for a minute. 
It's like, so as I stand up here and I look out, my focus is on each one of you. I'm seeing your faces, I'm recognizing many of you. So my focus is on you. But if all of a sudden I take four fingers and I put four fingers in front of my face, I just lost focus on you and I just now focused in on my four fingers. And so now, even though I can see that there are people out there, I'm not focused on any of you, I'm focused on my four fingers. Everything else fades in comparison to what it is that I'm focused on or what it is that you're focused on. So guys, maybe our focus Maybe our focus is on making money, or maybe our focus is on entertainment or on recreation because we think, because we think that's what will make us happy or that's what's going to satisfy us. Or maybe, maybe our focus is on the importance of God's Word. We certainly know that the Word of God is important, or maybe our focus is on prayer, and we certainly know there's power in prayer. That's, and of course, by focusing on those things, that's more spiritual, Right? And yes, those things are important, but guys, listen to me. If you want to understand what Easter is all about, you have to focus on the resurrection because it's the resurrection that sets us apart from all other religions. Friends, the foundation of our faith, the foundation of our faith is not the teachings of Jesus. It's not. I know that that might frustrate some of you, that might anger some of you, that might surprise some of you, but listen, the, the, the foundation of our faith is not the teachings of Jesus. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of religions out there that the guys had good teachings. And for instance, maybe you follow after some teacher or you follow after some particular prophet and the reason is is because you say, I like what the guy taught when he was alive. I've read some of his teachings and I like what he taught. Now, I know that some of you are saying, but Steve... That's why I followed Jesus, because he said some wonderful things. Well, he certainly did. But friends, the foundation, what I'm trying to get across, the foundation of what we believe and why we're even here to celebrate is not because we think Jesus' teachings are so wonderful. I would also tell you the foundation of Christianity is not found in the philosophy of life. Certainly, as Christians, I believe we have a great philosophy of life. I believe we have an incredible worldview. But again, it's not the foundation of Christianity. And the foundation of Christianity is not associated with a country. Years ago, I was in a conversation with a businessman, a local businessman in the community, and I was, I was trying to bring the conversation around to spiritual things because I wanted to talk to him about spiritual things. We never seemed to get there. And so finally, I just came out and I said, are you a Christian? And he looked at me with a surprised look, a puzzled look, and he said, well, of course. I was born in America. Guys, I'm just saying there are some of you who think the foundation of your religion is based on a country. In other words, it's like you were born in Israel, so you must be a Jew. You were born in America, so you must be a Christian. You get the idea. Friends, the foundation of Christianity has absolutely nothing to do with where you were born. Now, again, don't get me wrong. All of these things are important. But the foundation of Christianity, what sets us apart from every other religion, is one single event. And that one event that all Christianity hinges on is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is why we celebrate Easter. Because that one event is the foundational point of all that we are and all that we believe. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Guys, this wasn't just some myth that's been told or some old wives' tale. 
After the resurrection, listen to me, after the resurrection, Jesus stayed in Jerusalem for 40 days. The the Bible tells us that he was seen by more than 500 people, including Paul, who writes about it in 1 Corinthians 15, when he says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12, the disciples. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. So Paul's trying to make this clear because this is really important to understand that this isn't just some old wives' tale. And he later tries to drive this point home when he says, he says to the church, listen, if the resurrection had not happened, then the Christian faith is pointless. Look at it in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. I want that to soak in. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. No resurrection, no Christianity. No resurrection, no Christianity. The other day, a few weeks ago, I was waiting somewhere at an appointment and we all grab our phone, don't we? And social media fills in the gaps of our boredom. And so I went on Twitter and there happened to be a guy that made a post that caught my attention. And this post said, if we proved that Jesus um, never rose from the grave, we found his bones, we prove he never rose from the grave, would you still believe? Well, I had to follow the thread on that. And so I'm following the thread and, and everybody trying to be spiritual, of course, said, well, yes, I love Jesus whether they find his bones or not, whether he rose from the grave or not. I still love Jesus and yes, I'd still follow him. And as I went down, there was one guy that said, no, if, if they prove that Jesus didn't rise from the grave, I would no longer follow Jesus. And then, of course, everybody started berating, berating this guy as only social media can do. And I thought, he's the only guy that got it right. He's the only guy that got it right. Guys, listen to me. If the resurrection did not happen, we are wasting our time. And I don't know. Today, if the resurrection had not happened, I don't know who's more foolish, me for standing up here preaching about it to you or you sitting out there nodding your head yes in agreement. Friends, if Jesus Christ is still dead, then bonnets and bunnies make more sense than the cradle and the cross which is why it's so important for us to understand and to see that the resurrection did in fact take place. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, making our case for the resurrection also makes a case for the reliability and the truth of the Bible. And what I found is that my life, when I think about my relationship with God and I think about what it means to be a follower of Christ, I know that uh, my life is much better, my relationships are much stronger, and it brings me so much joy to follow Jesus. And all those things are great. But I'm going to say it to you again. The primary distinction between Christianity and all the other religions that have ever existed The primary difference is that Jesus Christ is the only God who ever came back from the dead. 
He's the only God that ever came back from the dead. Think about this for a minute. After Jesus was arrested, so they arrest him. Remember, they're, they're all there praying, and Jesus had just warned them that this was going to happen, and all of a sudden the guards show up, and they arrest Jesus. What did the disciples do? Did they stay by his side? No. They ran. They hid. They were afraid. And then what did they do? Then, then they take him to a cross. He's crucified, and he dies. What do they do then? They're, they're still afraid. They, they go fishing. They, they go back. They're so discouraged and let down that they just go back to the way of life before it was or before it was with Jesus. So again, I just want you to see that Christianity wasn't launched from the teachings of Christ and it wasn't launched from the crucifixion of Christ. I mean, at the point of Christ's death, think about the Pharisees, the religious leaders, what are they thinking? At the point of Jesus' death, he dies on a cross, the Pharisees, the religious leaders are thinking, finally, we've put an end to this guy. The disciples, on the other hand, are so discouraged, they walk away from the dream. And as far as they're concerned, it's over. I don't know exactly what they were thinking. The Bible doesn't tell us. You know, I I don't know what they were thinking. But as far as they were concerned, it was over. Maybe they're thinking, if Jesus would have just stuck to the script, if he would have just stuck to more feel-good teachings, Like, here's how to know God, and God wants to forgive you, and here's how to love one another. If he would have just stuck to something more agreeable, we might have been able to keep his teachings alive, but Jesus, he just went too far. He said things like, he said things like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and the Father and I are one, and the only way to get to God is through me. Wow. Wow, that's just so narrow-minded, Jesus. Are you really saying that you're the only way to salvation? Are you really saying that you are God? Are you really saying that you're going to rise from the dead in three days? Don't you see, Jesus, there's no room for any error in that? If it doesn't happen exactly the way you said, people are not going to follow that message. They're not going to follow you. And up to this point, I mean, come on, things have been going pretty good. That is until you allowed yourself to be arrested. God, Jesus, how could the God, or the creator of the universe, allow himself to be beaten and whipped the way they beat and whipped you? How could you allow yourself to be crucified on a cross and die in the most humiliating way? No, no, it's over. The dream, it's dead. But then, three days later, Three days later, Jesus actually rose from the grave. Now that same frightened group of guys go out and turn the world upside down. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about it. Not because of what Jesus taught, not because of the miracles he performed, not because he died on a cross. What changed them from fear to faith, what sent them out with their hearts blazing on fire is that they saw a dead man walking. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Friends, listen to me. If you're still unsure, I want you to, I want you to think about this for a minute. Overnight, thousands of Jews in Jerusalem, overnight, thousands of Jews in Jerusalem abandoned hundreds of years of heritage and embraced Christianity. Not because of a good sermon. Not because they saw Jesus die. 
But thousands of Jews abandoned everything they had believed about religion and embraced Christianity because of one event, an event that was undeniably true. Hundreds of people were walking through Jerusalem saying, I saw him. I'm telling you, he's alive. Before the resurrection, as we just said, the disciples were terrified. Peter denied even knowing Jesus when confronted by young teenage girls. He cussed and swore at her. Others ran away in fear for their lives after Jesus was arrested. And yet, after the resurrection, that same, those same cowardly men now go out. And not only do they change the world, but they willingly suffer for their faith and die a martyr's death. Friends, do you see why we say that Christianity is radically different than every other religion? Not only has it survived, but guys, it has continued to thrive. So if you're not a Christian, but you're considering, listen, you're considering the teachings of Jesus, can I say to you just one more time, Jesus rose from the dead. Look up here for just a minute. If a person comes back from the dead, I don't care what he taught. You don't have to give me any of his podcasts. If he predicted that he would come back from the dead, and he does, I'm all in. So do you see the resurrection is the most important distinction between Christianity and all other religions. Everything we believe hinges on this one event. And I also want to, listen, I also want to point out that Jesus wasn't the only one that was making some of these predictions. Do you realize that Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection fulfilled over 330 prophecies predicted hundreds of years before his birth? It was predicted that he would be born of a virgin that he would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. It was predicted that they would cast lots for his garments and that he would be crucified between two thieves. Listen, friends, while other religions talk about the elaborate burial grounds of their leader, Christianity, well, it points to an empty tomb. In Romans chapter 10, verse nine, it says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Guys, this teaching is significant. As Christians, we need to understand everything, the foundation of our faith is on this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Author Max Licato, who was just here a few weeks ago in one of his books, wrote this. When it comes to Christ, you've got to choose. Call him crazy or crown him as king. Dismiss him as a fraud or declare him to be God, but don't play games with him. Don't call him a great man. Don't clump him with Moses, Elijah, Buddha, Joseph Smith, Muhammad, or Confucius. He didn't leave that option. He is either God or godless, heaven sent or hell born, all hope or all hype, but nothing in between. Paul also writes in Romans chapter three, he says, for all, not some, not many, not even most, but for all have sinned. Every single one of us in this room have sinned against God, every one of us. And we fall short of the glory of God. Do you see, guys, that Jesus' resurrection serves notice that we are all so deeply flawed by sin that nothing short of death of God's own son 
could save us from eternal damnation because if you go just a little bit farther in Romans chapter 6, it says for the wages or the penalty or the price of sin, we've all sinned, and the price or the penalty of that sin is death. You and I, we deserve to die for the sin that's in our life. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So many times people say, I'm not sure, Steve, I understand uh, what it's all about. I mean, I'm trying to figure out the purpose of life, and, and I get that. But can I, just, can I just narrow it down? We go all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning. And it tells us that God created man and woman. And he put them in a garden to be in fellowship. He created man to be in fellowship with him. And he put him in a garden and he gave them, one of the greatest gifts that he gave mankind is free will. In other words, he didn't want us to be a puppet on a string that's forced to make choices and decisions. He wanted to give us the freedom to choose. He wanted us to love him because we chose to love him. And so he gave, us free, he gave mankind free will. He puts Adam and Eve in Genesis 1. He puts them in the garden. And he says, this entire garden, this paradise is yours. Enjoy. Oh, but by the way, there's just one tree. I don't want you to eat of the fruit of that tree. Anything else you want is fine. Just don't eat of that tree. And what do they do? Right out of the gate, chapter 3. We don't get very far, and they eat the fruit of the tree. And that relationship that we had with God was all of a sudden broken. And so now there's this great chasm between God and us. And so all through the rest of the Old Testament, you see people trying to build a bridge back to God. We think if we, if we do enough good deeds, that'll build a bridge back to God, but that didn't work. If we go to church enough, that'll build a bridge. It didn't work. If we give enough money, that'll build, it wouldn't work. It doesn't matter what all of our efforts were. Jesus said, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. He said, I'm the only way to God. And so Jesus, he then gets up from his seat in heaven and the Bible says in Philippians, he sets aside his deity and he comes to earth as that baby in the manger. That's the Christmas story, guys. And so he comes, he's fully God and fully man. And he comes as that baby that Christmas morning. And then he grows into a man. And it tells us in several, in several places that he never sinned. He never sinned. And then he willingly goes to the cross not for his sins, he never sinned. He willingly goes to the cross for you and for me because of our sins. Because we deserve, remember, we deserve to die. The penalty of sin is death. So there had to be a, there had to be, that's where the term scapegoat comes from. There had to be a scapegoat. Jesus became the scapegoat. He was a sinless sacrifice. And he willingly died so that you and I could be forgiven and declared not guilty. And so the, the scripture says, but as many as receive him to them, he gives the right to become sons and daughters of God. And so basically he's saying, I paid the price for salvation by dying on that cross. And now it's a free gift. And I want to give you this free gift. And all you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is receive it. And so if I, if I worked hard and purchased a gift and I stood up here today and I said, guys, I've worked hard for this and I want you to have it, here it is. I would stand here and wait for you to come up and receive it or accept it. And that's the same with salvation. 
There's nothing you can do to earn it. We certainly don't deserve it. It's a free gift from God, but you have to receive it. What will you do? So you see, here's the deal. We have this chasm that man's been trying to get back to God. It's like Jesus stepped into the gulf. He stepped into the chasm. He took the hand of God, and he wants to take your hand and my hand and bring us back into a relationship again. He wants to become the bridge back to God. But it's up to you. It's your call. You have freedom to choose. Listen, friends, to me, please. The God of the universe absolutely loves you. He doesn't just tolerate you. He is head over heels in love with you. You have to decide if you're going to accept this free gift of salvation or not. So what about you? I'm going to ask everybody, if you would, to bow your heads right now. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And at all of our campuses, the campus pastor is going to come right now. And they're going to give you the opportunity to pray to invite Christ into your life. 